Welcome to episode 192 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Jennifer Gibbons. Jennifer decided to join the Navy when she was going to community college. It was something she had considered in high school, but when her dad told her she needed to take college seriously or get a job, she decided to join the military. First, she went to the Marines but knew it wasn't for her, and next she went to the Navy and told them she was ready to join whatever it takes. She joined the Navy, served, became a mom, left the Navy, and is now back in the reserves. Before we get started with this week's interview, I wanted to let you know that next week, starting July 12th, and running for 10 weeks until September 13th. I'm doing a special series called A Girl's Guide to Military Service. It's meant to answer questions and provide advice if you're considering joining the military, and it also will include interviews from women who are earlier in the process in joining, going to boot camp, going through ROTC or officer training school, and talking to experts about education benefits, finance, fitness, and more. And so I'm really excited to work on the series and I'm excited to partner with some amazing companies. So you'll be learning more about them in the next few weeks. But I just wanted to let you know that there'll be a new series starting next week, A Girl's Guide to Military Service. And it's all to lead up to my new book coming out September 13th, A Girl's Guide to Military Service, Selecting Your Specialty, Preparing for Success, Thriving in Military Life. You can pre-order your copy today with a link in the show notes. So come back next week for that series to hear more stories from women earlier in their journey about what led them to the military and what their experience has been so far. And I really hope that you enjoy this week's interview. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? It's a little bit twofold. So, well, I guess threefold. My grandfather was in the Navy in World War II in Korea, and he talked about the fun times uh, when he was in the military in the Navy. I grew up kind of on the water, so I thought like just being out on the water and getting paid for it, that's kind of fun. And then obviously 9-11 changed a lot for those of us who were in high school at the time. So I that kind of gave me a little bit more of a motivation. My family is pretty much servant leaders. My dad's a firefighter. My brother's in the military. So it kind of just seemed like something to do for somebody who wasn't quite sure what they wanted to do at the time. Graduating high school, your whole world is at your fingertips, but that was overwhelming to me. So I figured college wasn't quite for me just yet. And I didn't want to stay in Bakersfield, which is where I'm from. So the the best thing in my eyes was just, I'll just join the military. And then the movie Top Gun just came out and it actually reminded me of like my brother and I talking about like going to the military when we were young. So I guess that had influence on it, but mostly it was just my family having the influence on me and not really knowing what I wanted to do. And I figured um, joining the Navy and getting paid to figure it out and travel wasn't wasn't the worst case scenario for me. That makes a lot of sense. So you had a number of little uh, different factors that kind of pushed you toward the Navy, family, movie Top Gun, that the second one just came out. How did you go about it? You enlisted, right? Because you said you weren't ready for college. So did you get with a recruiter while you were still in high school, or did you start looking after graduation? What was the process like? 
So I was attending junior college. And in Bakersville, like the Army Marines is pretty heavily recruited. But I remember just being like, the Navy was it for me. Like I, I thought about being a Marine. And then when I went and talked to a Marine recruiter, it was just like, I'm a, a very petite female. So it was more of just uh, walking in the door and them just saying, yeah, that's, that's not going to work too well for you. And the Navy was right next door. And I was like, you know what? The Navy's in my family. I had uncles that were in the military and the, the Navy was uh, what they chose as well. So I just figured that's what I'm probably more comfortable at is being on the water. And that's what my family's done. So why not be the first woman in my family to do it and kind of stick with the tradition? I actually sought out a Navy recruiter in Bakersfield that wasn't too far from my uh, junior college campus. And um, the only reason why I did that is because my dad said, you know, you either need to like take school serious or get a job. So I uh, walked into a recruiter's office and I said, I'll leave whenever. What jobs can I get? And it was as soon as I can leave. So I actually didn't finish my last semester uh, in junior college. I like literally, I think it was two, maybe three months. And then I was just came home to my dad and I said, I, I joined the Navy. Um, I'm leaving in a few months. So I didn't even give myself time to regret it, you can say. And did you end up getting a career field that was a good fit? Because a lot of times when I hear people are like, I just want to get in as quickly as possible. They just are like, okay, here's a job nobody wants. In hindsight, I definitely was like targeted for that early 2000s, like female engineer thing. But it, it kind of worked out perfectly for me. My dad's a firefighter. So the job I chose in the military is essentially shipboard firefighting. And at, like growing up in the fire department, my dad taught at the firefighting academy. He was a city fire captain. So for me, it was just like, well, that just makes a whole lot of sense, right? Like that's something I know extremely well, whether I've physically done it myself. It's just education. I, I just knew it. I knew the lifestyle. I knew the personalities that typically did it. Uh, I was extremely comfortable in that environment. So I didn't really look at any other jobs. When I read that one, I was like, well, that just makes sense. Like, I'll give it a go. I never, never crossed my mind. That is not a female typical job. Like, I never even noticed that there wasn't a single female firefighter at my dad's department. It was never a thing in my family. It was never a thing really in my community. So I didn't even think about that. I was just like, oh, that sounds familiar. Let's go with that. But I loved it. I got really lucky. I, I really liked my job. That's great to hear. Yeah. I think it's cool that it had that family background. And I think a lot of times things that were raised around or even like being in the military, like at the time when I was in, it was probably similar time as you because I was in high school and September 11th happened. There weren't a lot of women in the military, but it wasn't like, I don't know, it was different than today. It wasn't like so highlighted. It was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you're very few, but they didn't like talk about it and highlight it in the way that. I feel like today it's a lot, there's more women, but it's like more focused on how few women there are in the military. And so it kind of brings about more scrutiny and more focus, which makes it harder instead of just like, maybe we stood out because we looked a little bit different, but I feel like it was just the way it was. And we didn't really think a lot about it. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the best way to describe it is like, it just, it just, it wasn't a big deal, I guess. Like, not saying that it's not important, right? Like diversity, inclusion on all fronts is important, but 
if it's just not pointed out to you, then you just don't really think about it. Like, I remember even going to like A school. So I went to boot camp and I was in an integrated division. So men and women. And I, I was just like, all right, like the school, like there's just many as us as there is of them. And it was 50, 50 split in our division. Even then I was like, not even thinking about it. My RDCs were both male and female. Great. Like the chief in charge was a female and she was pregnant. And so I was like, okay. When I went to A school, that's when I started like, oh, okay, there's, there's getting few women, but still again, like just never, I don't know. I just, ignorance is bliss, I guess. Like I never really thought about it. never really cared. I never was like, oh, I'm the only female here. There was only one incident where it was like very apparent that I was not necessarily welcome, but it was easy to overcome because it's just like, it was an issue for you, but it was never an issue for me. So just doing your job, being the smartest person in the room, if you can, as far as like a reading your instructions. I don't know. I mean, it is pointed out a lot and I don't want to say that it's not important, but for me, it just, it was just never until late, like much later in my career, was it ever an issue. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, it is important and it's important that we're talking about it. And like, I'm not discounting that. I just am like, it's so much harder when there's like a flashlight shined on you instead of just being hidden among everyone. It was like I deployed with the army and I was in the infantry. I was an Air Force person and I didn't know there were jobs that like, I knew women weren't supposed to be in combat, but I didn't really know what that meant. And so when I was attached to an infantry unit, I didn't know that like, I wasn't supposed to be there. And no one ever told me because I don't know, like, maybe they thought that I understood like, why it was such a unique job. I don't know. And I just didn't think about it. And like, then years later, they started talking about how women were going to, for the first time, be an infantry branch. And I was like, I did that and no one even told me I wasn't supposed to be there. And so I didn't ever second guess if I was supposed to be there because I was doing the job the military trained me to do. And I think when they put words around it of like, women aren't supposed to be there, or can they do it? Instead of just saying, this is your job, go do it. And they don't worry about your gender, it really makes it a lot harder because then you can feel like you're fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. I'm not to say that it wasn't ever pointed out that I was the only female or one of very, very few. I mean, it definitely was pointed out, but I kind of just chose not to care. Like, yeah, I I vividly remember somebody coming up to me and being like, oh, there's a female in the room. I was like, do you care? Because I don't care. Like, just treat me as just one of the guys. And if something bothers me, I'll say something. But realistically, you know, I mean, we're all here to do the same job. We're all standing the same watches. We're all missing our family. We're all tired. We're all hungry. We all haven't showered. We all haven't slept. Like, I don't know. It just becomes less and less of an issue. And maybe I'm just different or from a different generation. But I just, I didn't want to spend my time focusing on that I was a female. I was just trying to do my job. And I wanted to be the best at it, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about your career. You already talked about boot camp and A school, but was there anything that happened at either of those that you wanted to talk about or we can dive into your first assignment? No, I mean, I, I had typical A school and then my first ship, I was on a pre-com, which was pretty cool. It's a brand new ship and you get to be the first crew to ever sail it. So that was really neat. That was the USS Gridley, DVG 101. And the, the kind of the cool thing is my grandfather's first ship when he was in the Navy was a pre-com. 
So our careers, coincidentally, were very parallel with each other, which is is great. So the, that was the first time where I was like, oh, I am, I am a girl because my chief, like fantastic guy, still a great friend, was just like not used to having so many women, I guess, in engineering. So at first he was kind of a little skeptical because I am very small and you're doing a firefighting and, and other things where you're expected to carry things. And so I, I definitely noticed that he saw me and was like, great, you know, what am I going to do with, with this petite thing? Uh, but that quickly changed and fit in perfectly. Got to go to a lot of schools, which was great. So you get to learn a lot when you're on a pre-com because you're not immediately tasked into assignments because the ship's not outfitted. So I got to learn a whole lot really early on, which really set me up, I think, for the rest of my career as far as I love to learn. I loved going to schools. They always joke the Navy, like, never again volunteer yourself. And I'm always like, I'll do it. What do you need? Let me try that. Let me go to this school. Like, I just liked learning stuff. It was fun. Like, you're there to learn. You're there to do a job. And if it's free, essentially, why not go to the schools? So I went to a bunch of schools. Got to do a pre-com, which is awesome because that's not very common. Not everybody gets to do that. So that was a really fun starting point of my career. And I just got really blessed. I had a fantastic crew from the chief's mess to the wardroom and everybody in between. I mean, it was just, it was a really great crew to start off my career. And I think that had a significant influence on my outlook for the Navy for the rest of my career, because I've heard that's not the case for some people. So for me to have such a great first experience, my first introduction to the Navy um, that really set me up for a, a long time of success, I think. Yeah, I think the first assignment and the people that you work for can have such a big impact on the rest of your career if you decide to stay, if you don't, or everything in between, just because that first assignment is your first experience really in the military. And it shapes how you view the military because the things that happen there are kind of like how you can view the rest of your career because you don't really know the military until you're in the military. Even if you're a military brat, you like kind of know, but you don't really know until you're in. And then that experience is so foundational. So that makes a lot of sense. So how long was, you said pre-con means it's a brand new ship. So what does that mean it was built, but it still needed to be like outfitted with like munitions and that sort of thing? Or is there other Navy things that I don't know about? No, you're right. So um, the shipyard I was at is Bath, Maine. So it's it's still there. And talk about like learning from the best, right? These people build Navy ships. They know everything. Most of them are veterans themselves. So you actually get to learn from the people who build the things, which is really fun and exciting. I absolutely love that. And when I got there, the ship was already in the water. But it wasn't... It was... Um, it was outfitted with the engineering equipment and most of the technology, all the things that you need to sail a ship, right? Um, we didn't have our weapon systems that actually gets put in in San Diego, where we eventually homeported. So we had all the basics and you move in everything though, like all the beds, all the firefighting equipment, which is all mine. Everything's new. So they drop conics boxes on the pier or on the flight deck. And you're, you're literally just moving in everything that you need to run that ship, like all the cooking, all the utensils, 
I mean, you name, you name it. If it's not bolted down and welded down, you're putting that sucker in there. So that was, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's exhausting. Like that is hard, hard, hard work. That is long, long hours. And I vividly remember just literally blood, sweat, and tears. Like my best friend, Chris, he was also damage controlman. I mean, I remember him and I just being like, all right, like just leaning on each other, taking probably like five to 10 minute little stealing little ounces of sleep that we could. And it's winter. So we did this all in like main winter. And I'm like, like I said, I'm from Bakersfield. I didn't even have like a proper jacket when I got there. I'm like, oh, my pea coat's great. No, that's, that doesn't cut it at all. So we did all of this in the snow in full winter in Maine. So you're, you're cold, you're tired, but talk about rewarding. I mean, the ownership that you feel on that ship, because you're literally outfitting it with everything that you need. And then when you finally get to sail it, it's just this like pure relief and extreme pride that it's literally your baby. Like I call that ship my first child because of the amount of work that went into that ship. Yeah, that's really cool. I've never really heard like what happens when a ship's brand new. And so it's really interesting to hear like how much of your blood, sweat and tears went into making the final like building the ship is one thing, but then there's still a lot more work to be done and a lot more to learn about. And the pride of taking it out to sea for the first time, like that just sounds like I get goosebumps thinking about like what that must have been like. Yeah, I mean, I I wish I can say that it was fun, but it was the worst seas that like from the captain down had ever experienced. So we were just sickness flooded the ship for about a couple of days. Luckily, I had grown up on the water. I was okay. I mean, I was feeling it, but I didn't get sick, luckily. So I wish I could say, oh, it was magical. Like we went underway. And it was beautiful. No, people were really sick for a while, but it was it was still fun. It was so much fun. The reality of life instead of like the movies where everything's calm seas and everyone's so happy. It's like, no, everyone's like puking everywhere. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. That's crazy. So did was the first place that you guys went to San Diego and how did you go to get there? So we sailed out of Maine and then our commissioning, the ship christening, uh, was in Miami, Florida, actually during the Super Bowl when it was there. And our CO went to college in Florida. So it was really fun. I wasn't 21, so I didn't get to partake in like all the fun, but we still got to do a lot of things. We got to meet some celebrities and show like tons of tours on the ship. I was so junior that my job was just to wake up and clean, make sure that it was it was good for people who actually were important to give the tours, but it was a really cool experience and you have this like beautiful traditional ceremony where the crew gets to man the rails for the first time. So we're in full uni- like dress uniform. You get to run on board the ship, man the rails, and you know they get to officially make it a USS ship. So that was really cool to be part of that. And I love traditions. I love just, I think that's why I love the military so much because just the, the old rich history and traditions. So to be part of that was just really, really fun to see that. And then once it's commissioned, then... You sailed down, um, so we sailed from Miami down through the Panama Canal uh, back to San Diego. We went to Cartagena, Colombia, which was really cool, and then Panama, which was great. Going through the canals was very long, 
very, very long. Uh, Military is not necessarily a paying customer. So like cruise ships were cutting us off like left and right. And you're sitting there waiting forever. But it was really cool to, to go through it and to see that the engineering and the mechanics behind the, the canal. Yeah, that sounds so cool. I think, I mean, I know the Navy is like, you were talking about how you were cleaning because you were junior enlisted and like, it is really hard work as you're in the lower ranks, but you get to go to such cool places and see the world in ways that so many people don't. It's really, it's just so fascinating. And I just love hearing the stories. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're underway for who knows how long. And then those two days, man, if you get two days off the ship, you really just, my grandfather gave me fantastic advice. He said the daytime is meant for sightseeing. The nighttime, if you must, you can go to a bar. So I was never of age, not that it mattered in some countries, but I, I definitely grew up traveling. So I, I'm a fantastic tourist in the sense that I want to see the sights. I want to see the history. I want to see the culture. I'll eat the food if I must. I just won't ask what it is. And I I love that because I, I actually got to see the places I was and experience the culture where that's not the case for a lot of people. Some people just get off the boat. They want to eat. They want to drink. And that's fine. Like It's a lot of hard work. And some people just at the end of the day don't want to be a tourist. But I did. I lived it up and I made sure... I got as much of the culture as I possibly could. Yeah, that sounds really cool. So then when you got to San Diego, they had to put the weapon systems on. Is that what you said? Yep. So you go from the yards back to the yards, and then they put in all the the other equipment that we couldn't do in the shipyard. So that takes a while. That's pretty miserable. Being in the yards is is rough because you're not living on a ship anymore. You live on a barge. And it's not the funnest time in the world, but it's necessary. It's necessary part of the job, right? Like ship can't get in the way if they don't have weapon systems and that's literally your job. So we did that and then finally got underway, did our pre-deployments. Um, I had gotten married in between all of that. And after our workups, I actually found out I was pregnant with my daughter. So all this work into this brand new ship, doing all the work workups, getting it ready to go on its first deployment. And I didn't even get to go. I was so sad. <laughs> I was like on the pier. And I remember this like woman came up to me and she's like, Oh, are you going to miss your husband? I was like, no, I miss my ship and my crew. Like I'm supposed to be out there. I actually tried to like not tell anybody I was pregnant and just sneak on deployment and just, you know, see what happens. But I ended up getting really sick. So I had to get, I get taken off the ship. That's such a bummer. One of the challenges to from being a woman in the military is getting pregnant and like doing all those workups and then not getting to go on the deployment. Was your spouse in the Navy? Did he go on the deployment or? He did. Yep. Yep. He was on on the, the ship and he was leaving and I was left behind and super upset. Uh, definitely with no intention of having kids. Like that was very far from my mind. But, you know, life happens when you're planning, I guess. So unplanned, but I got to go to Swarmic, which is Southwest Regional Maintenance Center. I got to teach over there. I got to do some training, take more education on. And then I got to see a different side of the Navy, really, after that. Being on the ship and just working, working, like keeping your head down. You're not really focused on the Navy or other people and everything. You're very kind of like it's a tiny little village and you're just focused on your village. So when you get out of the ship you're kind of exposed to a whole other side. So seeing a bunch of pregnant females and watching them go through their pregnancies and then them try to go back to the ship or 
figure out what they're going to do next. That was interesting to me and fascinated me to see just different levels of motivations for people. Some that, you know, once they have a child, that's it, they're done. They want to get out as soon as possible. People like me that were like, oh, this is just part of life and just going to keep keep doing my job because I like it. And then other people where they just have a bad experience and they get out or move on or um, have different reasons for things. So just being part of that early on really fascinated me because I didn't necessarily love how pregnant sailors were being treated as far as just like kind of put them off into this like group and just forget about it. And, And I didn't like that. So I had an opportunity to change that in the sense that those of us that wanted to stay in the military that were very motivated, we didn't get to work in our jobs anymore. So came up myself and a few other um, men and women came up with in rate training so we can continue to evolve our careers regardless if we were in them or not. So that was fun to do um, and be part of and be at a command that was really open to new ideas of not just treating pregnant sailors as a nuisance as far as like we're still a contributing factor to this force. So I still had knowledge to give. I still had things to learn. And there were people around me that were supportive of that. So that was interesting. I didn't necessarily love it at first, but instead of being upset about it, you have to figure out a way to fix it. So we ended up creating like a whole new path for pregnant sailors that wanted to stay motivated. And for those that that wanted to get out for various reasons, helping them too to kind of figure out like what's next for them. That sounds really interesting. And that's like when life gives you lemons, you can like take it and be sad or you can make lemonade. And like, I like how you took, it sounds like it wasn't a very good situation where they kind of expected everyone who's pregnant to get out. And so they just pushed you guys in the corner and you guys were like, no, no, not all of us want to do that. And even if they want to get out, we want to like help people like transition and get ready for success. Yeah. I mean, I I can't speak for what it is now, but at that command, there was definite support of people that like wanted for that not to be the case, but just didn't either they, you know, they were male and they haven't been through it or they just didn't have, I guess, enough motivated women to just take the initiative and be like, you know what? We got this. Like you support us. We'll take care of the rest. And so once that was established, we actually had a fantastic group of women from all different ranks that stepped up and men that came in and were like, how can I help? Like, how can I be part of this? And it was pretty great. I mean, it was, you can't just be like, Oh, what was me? You know, I'm, I'm pregnant and I have no support. Like just need your support, find support. Like it's always out there. Yeah. And I love that it was men, women, different ranks, everybody coming together and finding a solution and moving forward. So at the end of your pregnancy, your daughter was born. Then what happened next in your career? Then I had another child. <laughs> so, I mean, oh, man. Talk about, like, just you can't plan life. You really cannot. I, I remember when I joined, I was, like, talking to one of my recruit, my RDCs, and she's a fantastic woman, terrifying woman, but just fantastic. And she was like, you know, don't be one of these sailors. It just gets knocked up and gets out. She's like, make something of yourself. And I was like, okay. So I was like, well, I'm never having kids then. And then lo and behold, like I had two in less than a year, but it ended up being perfect, right? I like knocked it out. I got it done. And I went right back to the ship. I mean, I literally went on deployment two days after my son's first birthday. I was like, I was not waiting. 
I tried getting on a ship earlier and my command was like, there's a thing called postpartum, just take it. So literally before I even actually checked in to go on deployment, the ship that I was going to be on was in San Diego. And I actually went on board and worked for a week. And I was like, hey, I'm coming. You don't really have my orders yet, but I'm coming. So kind of set that. And then when I went and checked in, we left for deployment. It was literally two days after my son's first birthday. And the Navy regulation at the time was you get a whole year. So I literally almost to the day was like out. I thought that, well, at least the way it's supposed to be in the Air Force is that if the mom wants to go sooner, they can. But it sounds like the Navy is pretty strict about not, or maybe just that command was that way. Maybe it's the commander's discretion more than the woman's discretion, which should be the other way around. I think it was more of, I had a really great command master chief and he's like, just enjoy like being with your kids. Like just, just be with your kids. He, he was a family man too. So he was like, just, I know you're in a hurry, but time was very valuable with babies. So he, he really kind of put it in perspective, like, just don't rush it. Just get back and and in hindsight, I'm glad I'm glad he did because you don't want to miss your kids growing up. But at the same time, like like I said, I'm highly motivated to get back out there and get a deployment under my belt because I only got a couple months to see. I didn't get a full deployment. And when you're in for a couple of years and you haven't had that experience yet, like, you know, there's a, a little bit of a, I had something to prove and I didn't want people to perception, right? Like, oh, you went and you had babies and that was it. And it's like, no, 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 I'm here to work. I just happen to have children. Yeah. And you, was your spouse still in the military? Um, he, he was, but I, at that point, became a single mom. Okay. So my mom actually moved in with me to watch my kids while I was split. I knew there was going to be some sort of challenge because it's so hard. Dual military, single parent, like those are the challenges that women face in the military oftentimes. And so, so your mom was able to come and watch your kids. And did she stay with you after the deployment or was it just for like the deployment period of time? No, she stayed with me actually for a couple of years. Um, so the ship I went on, we actually had two deployments back to back. So we did a seven, was almost shy of eight months. And then we came home for a few months and then we went right back out. So I actually, I missed my daughter's second birthday and her third birthday. Yeah, it was, it was deployment, deployment. And then um, once that was done, that is when I actually got out of the military is after that second one. And why did you decide to get out of the military? It's pretty difficult being a single parent in the Navy. My daughter was sick. She had gotten sick and um, hadn't kind of medically couldn't really figure out what exactly was wrong. So going to, or having my mom really take her to all these doctors and appointments and I was there and then I wasn't there. And, you know, at some point I always like to, to say that, you know, the military is a family, right? Your crew, they're a family, but you also have your family at home. So it will come to a point you have to choose your family. So which one do you choose? And that, that was basically the decision I was faced with. I wasn't necessarily, uh, we were on deployment. We actually had a huge engineering casualty and we were inoperable for some time on deployment. So we were stuck in Dubai and thought it would be a good time to go home and take care of my daughter and requested some leave, didn't get it and was basically given my, my decision that 
you know, if I have to choose, it's going to have to be my kids. So I got out, went home, took care of business. My daughter is perfectly healthy now, and I got to be there with her. So it does come to a point, and this is not just women. This is literally any service member where if things happen, you, you are choosing which family. And I'm choosing the one that I brought into the world. So uh, that was probably the most depressing day, walking off that ship, not realizing it was going to be the last time and going home and taking care of my family. So that's kind of how I left the Navy. didn't want to. It came a lot quicker than I, I wanted it to. It came in a way that I didn't think I would have to, but that's that was where I left it. And uh, I also wanted to go to college. I didn't have any any time to go to school, really. So I used the opportunity to take advantage of benefits the military gives you through the GI Bill. And I went to school, and, and I ended up getting two degrees. Yeah, I think the military is having to shift the way that they operate because they, I think the culture used to be like, you pick the military, you pick your career over your family. And it's not, at least from what I've been seeing, a lot of people are making choices, men and women, to pick their family over their career. And the military is like kind of scrambling. They're struggling with recruiting people to join. They're struggling to keep people in because... When people have to make a decision, they're picking their families because they realize the value and the importance. And I think, I mean, you've seen that with like the maternity laws changing for women, giving them more time at home and giving even dads more time at home with their kids when they're born. I think that there's a lot of things changing and the military is realizing they can't just be like, and like, People will do the mission like you were on the deployment, but you just needed the support to like figure out what was going on. And they were like, no. And you were like, well, now I have no choice. But if they had listened to you and worked with you, then you would have been like, okay, they're supporting me and they're supporting my family. And they know that when I get this straightened out, I can come back and be a good sailor. Yeah. And and I had had, gosh, those two deployments, I had had many Red Cross messages. Uh, My grandfather had gotten ill. My ex-husband had issues. I never went home. I never went home for any of it. My daughter's health. I just, I, and that was the one time I was like, I've got, I need to go. And it kind of comes to a point, right? Like in leadership, if the person cannot, not that I couldn't focus on the mission, but if at any point there's something that is maybe distracting them or something that's just always at the back of their mind, it's for the safety of everybody, right? To let that person take care of what they need to take care of. Now, I'm a fantastic uh, compartmentalization type of person. So I can put that away in a little box, do what I need to do, and think about that on my own time. But, you know, as I get older and I've been in leadership positions, the best, most efficient workers are ones that can focus on what's at task at hand and not having to worry about other things. So there's, there's never a right answer. You obviously can't let everybody go home. Babies get born all the time. Not everybody gets to go home. There is a mission to do. So if you're in a mission, I just happened to not be in a mission critical environment at the time because the ship was inoperable. So in my case, it I could have been let to go home. I, I could have easily, they could have sent me home, taken care of what I need to take care of and brought me back or you know, what you can do is you can remove a sailor if they have an issue going on at home. And, and it has to be a serious issue, right? Like a seasonal flu is not serious. You know, if a child is in the hospital, if a spouse comes down with a disease, 
that needs treatment, those people should be, that should be a priority, right? To let those people go home, take care of what they need to take care of. And then you can put them at different commands temporarily until the ship comes home. Happens all the time. But, you know, it's, it is still the military. I mean, you take that oath, right? Family doesn't come in your sea bag type of thing. But it was just, it's unfortunate that's how I had to leave. But I was in six, well, over six years. So one negative thing that does not affect my total outlook on the military. Yeah. I think it's it's like a hard balancing act because like you said, it is the military and you do sign the dotted line and you make a commitment and it is. And that was when I got out of the military, I didn't want to deploy and leave my uh, six month old at home at the time because that was the rule in the Air Force. And I was like, I can choose knowing that I'll probably go on a deployment and leave behind a six-month-old or I can get out. And so I chose to get out. And so you have to make those decisions because at that time, that was the way it was. And it wasn't like if I chose to stay in, then at six months, oh, no, no, I just, now I want to get out. Like you have to make that decision and do what's right for you and for your family and realize that it is the military and it requires a lot of sacrifice to serve. I think that makes a lot of sense. And so you said you transitioned and you went back to school and you got not just one, but two degrees. So what was your transition out of the military like and what are you doing today? I know there's probably a big jump in time. So I've been out almost 10 years, which is crazy to think about because it doesn't feel that long. And honestly, like I can recall my entire military past like it was yesterday. So again, timeline, like there's a glitch in my timeline apparently, but uh, I got out and I I took a year off. I just, I was just done. I done with the military. I was ready to kind of be mom and move on. And I am not a stay-at-home mom. <laughs> that year almost killed me. That was a really depressing, I mean, even though I was home with my kids, it was just relearning how to be a functioning part of non-military society. So all my friends were gone. I, so I no longer had my friend group because they were all still on deployment or they were in Everett, Washington, which is where my ship was. And I was back in San Diego. So it's very isolating, especially when you're trying to be a mom to two toddlers and you weren't necessarily the primary caregiver of those toddlers for a while. So I was learning how to be a mom. I was super young. I was learning how to be a normal functioning human being in society like getting dressed in the morning gave me anxiety. I still wore a bun probably all of the time because you just, you're so used to just getting up, getting to work that when you actually have choices and you have to make friends, like the military hands you friends and you just get to pick and choose the ones that you really like. So all of that was really, really, really hard. I thought that I had made the biggest mistake of my life that first year. Like, had no idea what I was doing. All my friends that I had from back home were in college and I'm at home with two babies. So it was crazy. It was, um, it was miserable. I, I almost didn't make it that year. Uh, and so finally I enrolled in college in junior college and found out that I was smarter than I thought I was before I got in the military. I really liked school. Uh, so I really focused on that and then just raising my kids and my family. And so that kind of helped me. And then when I went to uh, University of San Diego, I actually met um, some other veterans and some female veterans and kind of built my own little community. So I think I kind of I went out of the military, got lost for a year and then went to school. And I just kind of used that as my new thing. So I hit that really, really hard, focused on it. And then the next transition is when you, when you graduate school, then what? 
you know, then you have to get a job. And I went through another, like, just kind of not necessarily depressing, but just like lost again of, well, now what do I do? Like, now I can choose what I want to be, but I didn't know what that was. So I thought it was law school. I thought it was going um, into like political journalism. And I interned in those things. I went and worked in those things and found out that wasn't it. And so it just, it took me a long time to really figure out what I wanted to do. And the one thing that kind of kept me focused was uh, the Foundation for Women Warriors. So it's a nonprofit um, and it's founded, it was originally founded for uh, military widows a, couple, a little over a hundred years ago. And I met the executive director who's a Marine veteran in at USD. So that helped me as far as kind of focus on what I actually like, gave me my community back of military women, which we are different than most people. We talk different. Our sense of humor is off color most of the time. Um, and we just have that shared experience is really, really important because we know what we've been through. We don't have to explain it to each other. So you just get to kind of be. So that that kept me going until I kind of figured out you know, where I was going. And now this month, actually, I will be commissioned in the Navy Reserves. So I'm going back. How fun. Yeah, I interviewed Jody a long time ago. I was going to try and look it up, but... <laughs> I was like, I don't, I know it was a while ago, but, and they were a sponsor for the podcast in the second year or so. And I'm moving out to California this summer. So I'm excited to get connected with them because they are doing amazing work. And it is so important to get connected with other women veterans. A lot of stuff that you said, like, I thought that I made the worst decision. Like, I'm like, yeah, I know what that feels like. (laughs) And just being lost because the military tells you what to do. And at the time you're like, oh, I wish I could make my own decisions. And then you get to make your own decisions and you're like, oh, this was really nice that the military told me what to do and I didn't have to think about it. It's like part of your brain just shuts off to that decision making. And so when you have to make those decisions, it can be really hard. I remember making my first dental appointment, like the anxiety I felt making, like choosing a dentist and making a dental appointment, like that is not normal for a like 25 year old woman, I was just like, I don't know. I I, like I have decisions like when you're in the military, those appointments are made for you. Like doc comes in and he tells your, you know, my shop, he's like, Hey, you have dental this day at this time. Like, don't forget to swing by and get your medical record on the way. And I was just like, okay. Or, you know, like sitting in the chow line waiting for food, doc comes up, grabs you because you need a vaccination. Like you don't have to function I mean, the military, you're a high-functioning human being, but in a totally different sense. Like, you're not making your own appointments. Those are usually made for you. You're not picking out your clothes. That's decided for you. Like, I would pick what my favorite coveralls were for that day. Like, which ones didn't smell the worst. Like, that was my decision-making, honestly. So it's like, you you don't think about that stuff. And then you get out, and you're like, wow, I could have colored underwear. Or... Picking out what color nail polish I wanted on my nails. You can pick that now. Like, I still to this day will wear nude and pink because that's just a decision I'm not, like, I can't commit to. So it's just, yeah, I mean, it's the, it's so funny. And somebody probably needs to, like, do a stand-up comedy about, like, the dysfunction of reintegrating into the civilian world because it's, it's comical. Like, I remember saying things around other moms and just being like, they're mortified at what I just said, because it was 
either like way too harsh or, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's integrating. I still struggle with it all the time. Like if if I had a choice between hanging out with like civilian people or finding like veteran groups, I'm just going to go run to them because I don't have to apologize for, you know, not being sensitive. Yeah. I think that would be hilarious. It would be so funny because it is kind of funny, like the things like that you don't have to do and your brain just kind of like shuts off that you don't have and then you have to do it and it's overwhelming and it's like a basic thing like making a dental appointment and you're like which dentist do I choose how do I choose a dentist I don't know they just told me to go here and I went so that's really true I want to ask what led you to go back into the Navy and commission what are you most excited about so my plan when I got out was never to stay out long right certainly not 10 years I told my husband when I got out I had gotten remarried after I got out and I told him, I said, you know, I want to go back in. Like, I know I'm not done. I'm not done with the Navy. There's so much more I can do. I really did love it. Like, I for sure drank the Kool-Aid and I don't regret it at all. But I, I knew I wanted to do something different, but I had to get education first. So once I got my education, I talked to a bunch of friends. I found out that there's um, a thing called human resource officer in the Navy, which Literally, I've been connected to the military 16 years. I just learned this last year that that was a thing. And so uh, I applied for it because I had my master's in HR already. I had experience in HR. I had a lot of experience in employment law. And speaking to other HR officers, it's pretty great. Like I can use all my experience in the military, all my experience out of the military. And, you know, the ideal, right, is to hopefully make a change when I get in. Uh, and they do that. They they work with personality, treating people like people, not equipment. That's a big deal for me with the military of not just getting the right people, but keeping the right people and also making it a good place. Like I had such a good experience. I, I know it's not realistic for everybody to walk away from the military with that experience. But if I can be in a place of leadership or maybe I can make it that way for most people, then that's kind of my hope and dream of being a you know human resource officer in the reserves to do what I can to hopefully make it a little bit better than it was and leave it better than how I found it. I love that. I'm really excited for you. And maybe we'll have to do another follow-up interview in a few years just to hear about your experience of being in the reserves. And I always like to end the interview with what advice would you give to a young woman who's considering joining the military? So what would you say? You have to do your research. Don't be me and just walk in and say, I'll take whatever. It, it's a job. It's not just a job where you get to go home at the end of the day. They own you. They own you, your future, your decisions, your hair, honestly, like you get your hair cut off from most of the branches. So you have to think about what branch is the right fit for you. That's important. If you can't swim and you don't like being on the water, the Navy is definitely not for you. If you don't like camping in dirt, the Army and the Marines probably not for you. So you have to think about what is the best environment fit for you. And then you have to figure out from there what branch is offering something you're interested in. Because not all branches offer the same jobs. So don't go in blind. Talk to somebody that's in it that's not a recruiter, preferably somebody you know well. So just start there. Start with researching. Researching a job you want and then find a branch that offers that. And then if the branch is the right fit for you or not. And you're not stuck in a job, right? Like most branches after a few years do let you get a different job. But you have to make sure that the environment is what you want. 
That's great advice. And if you're looking for someone to talk to, I created a mentorship program so that you can connect with other women veterans and talk to them about their experience in the military to help you in your journey. And starting next week, I'm doing a series for 10 weeks on joining the military, answering questions and giving advice. So come back next week for that. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm really glad we got to do this interview. Yeah, thank you for having me. episode. If this is your first time listening to Women of the Military podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes on the podcast. There are so many episodes and stories of women who've served in the military who can inspire you at whatever stage of the journey you're in, joining, serving, leaving the military, or just learning about the women who have served in the military. If you want to support Women of the Military podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash women of the military. And if you enjoyed Women of the Military podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app to help the podcast grow and reach more women who are considering military service.